In this passage, Paul is saying there is a hierarchy of value when it comes to the spiritual gifts. He says, first is the apostolic gift, then the prophetic, then the gift of teaching. And then in this list, remember, every list of spiritual gifts is different, and I think that's intentional. There is no exhaustive, comprehensive list that we can limit the Spirit of God to. But in this particular list, the last gift mentioned is the gift of tongues. Now we're going to talk about that. There's a reason for that. But it's interesting to me that, that Paul gives a hierarchy. And later on he says, seek and desire the greater gifts, the higher gifts, the, the gifts that are most important or the gifts that are of most value, most helpful to the body. And what I find interesting about that, well, two questions jump to mind. First question is, why is there a hierarchy of value? Why are some gifts more helpful to the body of Christ than others? We're not going to get to that question today. The second question is even more interesting to me. Paul says, desire the greater gifts, or the gifts that are more important or of more value to the community, which are the apostolic, prophetic, and teaching gifts in this passage. Paul also says, you can't all be apostles. You can't all be teachers. You can't all be prophets. So this is some mixed messaging, right? Desire the apostolic gift, but most of you are not going to get it. Desire the prophetic gift. Most of you aren't going to be prophets. What is Paul, what is Paul doing? I, I think the intention here is Paul is, is saying, you need to stop thinking as individuals. You need to start thinking as a body. You need to start desiring that which is not necessarily and strictly awesome for you, but that which benefits us as a whole. Now, I'm telling you, the individualism that Corinth was experiencing, the church in Corinth, was, was, was animated. Pales in comparison to the individualism that we now embody in 21st century Western culture. I mean, ancient civilizations couldn't even imagine this level of individualism. And where it's heading, nobody knows. doesn't seem like it's good, though, but that's, that's an entirely different message series. The point here is, if this message was important for the church in Corinth, it's, it's exponentially more important for us. I don't know about you, but, okay, think about your Wednesday morning. You get up, you go to work, whatever it is you do. When you make decisions, financial decisions, career decisions, parenting decisions, uh, life, whatever decisions, how often are you thinking, wait a second, how is this going to impact my faith community? The body of Christ that I'm a part of. How, how is this beneficial for the, the local body of Christ that I've been called to be a part of and, and, and give myself to. How often are you realistically thinking of your life decisions in terms of how they are interconnected with the body of Christ, which is us? That's, it's an interesting thing to at least think about because I think that's the main message here. The Church of Corinth, if you go and read through the, the letter this first letter to the Corinthians, you will see that the church is, is very divided. In fact, they're, they're, their fights are on another level. I mean, some of them are taking 
each other to court, and it's just, it's just a, it's a bad scene. There are different factions. They're even using communion in a way to, to increase division, and, you know, we'll talk about that maybe in a couple of weeks, <clears throat> but it's, it's a very divided church. There's a lot of fighting going on, and Paul's like, you've got to stop thinking about yourself, especially in the context of spiritual gifts. As we read through the, the book of 1 Corinthians, we, we learn a lot about their approach to spiritual gifts. And one of the things that is happening is they are pursuing gifts in a way that exalts themselves. So they're pursuing the gifts that they think uh, makes them superior to others. Before we get into that, let's just jump to the first verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be misinformed. In some translations, Paul says, regarding the questions that you asked me about spiritual gifts. It's something that we, we often forget when we approach the Bible is that these epistles are letters, personalized, customized letters written to particular groups of people in a very specific city, a very specific time, a very specific context, struggling with very particular issues and, and asking very particular questions. So one of the, the tasks of the body of Christ is to, to, when we read these customized letters, is to discern what content here has universal application to the body of Christ and what parts of this letter is really limited to the particular culture and time and place that Paul is writing to. Does that make sense? And again, this emphasizes why we need multiple gifts. We need the gift of teaching. So we need our teachers to help us understand. We need people with the gift of discernment and wisdom and insight. We need people with multiple gifts. Now, this isn't quite as much of an issue today as it was in the ancient world. I mean, now we, we have all the gifts at our disposal through the internet. We, we can... We can be in touch with, with the, the greatest minds and the most spirit-filled people on the planet. So it's, it's, it's an interesting time to live in. In the ancient world, before the printing press, each body had to have all the gifts in order to be able to discern these things. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't Google whatever your favorite author or theologian is, right? I think we're facing a different issue because we have all of these amazing gifted people and their perspectives at our disposal. I still believe that God gifts every local body of Christ with all the gifts that it needs to understand the scriptures, to understand God's message to that body of Christ. And I think only the people with the gifts in that body can fully understand what God is calling that particular body of Christ to in their particular time and place. Does that make sense? Just because we have all these great theologians and we can watch all these, these messages online, we still need each other to fully understand what is God calling us to through scriptures, through prayer, right now. Okay. Paul here says, concerning your questions to me about spiritual gifts. 
This is, if you read through 1 Corinthians, you will see this phrase over and over again. Okay, concerning this issue that you wrote me about. It, it start, I think it starts in chapter 7. Paul, chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, okay, regarding the questions that you wrote to me about. And, and then the first, the first question that they asked him was about sexuality and marriage. And then Paul goes into this answer, and you're kind of like, what was going on at this church? What was their question? Because this is a weird answer. And that's part of the problem, is we, we only have half of the conversation. Now, there was lots of, cor- lots of correspondence compared to today. They weren't emailing each other every day or texting each other. But there was, I guess today's standards, there was some correspondence between the churches and the apostles between the church of Corinth and and Paul. In fact, most church historians and and biblical scholars think there was at least three, but probably four letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And they were writing letters to him. Now, we've lost two of those letters, and I don't think we have any copies of the, the letters that the Corinthians wrote to Paul, which is too bad. It'd be great to see that other side of the conversation. I mean, have you ever been in the car with someone? They're talking on the phone, and... And you're listening and you're getting half the conversation. You're kind of like, wait, what's going on? The, the police, why were the police involved? And, and, then, and then they're, baking soda, what does that have to do with the police? Why, an elephant, what is going on, right? You're only hearing half the conversation and it's getting more intriguing, more intriguing. And it's not quite that way with, with this because Paul, Paul's answers, we can glean a lot of information. But we still don't know with precision and with certainty what questions they were asking, and that would be helpful to know. So there's, when we approach the scriptures, there's two really important ways that we need to interact with the Bible. And both are really important. And what I find is most Christians and and many churches, we tend to to just gravitate to one or the other, and we need both. And the the first way is the the scholastic approach. So the intent there is to understand the original message from the author to the original audience. So we, that, that approach, we need to understand original languages. We need to understand, you know, okay, what was going on politically in Corinth at the time. I mean, we, we, need, we need people with certain gifts to help us understand that, right? Now, that's important. But the, the other way of approaching Scripture is just as important, and, and that is to, to approach the Scripture listening to the Spirit of God to breathe and, and, and inspire and animate these words in a way that is applicable to either us as individuals or us as a body of Christ that, that is not constrained to the original message, to the original audience. That's, that's the power of Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit can breathe a message through it that, may, that is very relevant and life-giving to you, but that may be disconnected from the original intent. Are you with me? What's important is, is to hold both of these. If, if we just go with, okay, what is God saying to me through this passage? If, you, if that's the only way you approach Scripture, I mean, it's very easy to make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, depending on how creative you are. And some of us are very creative, right? So we don't want to get into this place where we're I mean, we're just kind of fashioning Scripture um, to, to suit our desires. And that happens all the time. So it's, it's important that we also ha- keep in mind that, you know what? The Spirit of God, through Paul, was actually intending a very specific message to the church in Corinth that we can learn from. And we ought to, to seek to understand that original message. 
because some of it is very applicable to us today. Now, if we only are are looking at the historical, cultural message that was applicable to that immediate context, we need to make sure that that we're allowing the Scriptures to speak to our whole beings. Because when Scripture just becomes a mind game, well, the same thing is true. If you are really smart and you you understand Greek, and you, you can, again, with intellect, make Scripture say whatever you want it to say. It's not like that's just a heart issue. So it's just important to keep these both in balance as much as you can. We're all going to probably lean one way more than the other, which is, again, why we're a part of a body. Okay, so this is a letter. We're trying to understand what it means. So in in, in chapter 7, Paul is addressing a question they had about sexuality and marriage. And there's some weird stuff going on in the church in Corinth. If you want a good story, read 1 Corinthians. It's it's got everything. And in chapter 8... Um, Paul says, now concerning the question you asked me about eating food that has been offered to idols. And that one seems a bit more straightforward. As you read Paul's answer, you're like, okay, I think I know what they were asking. Now here in chapter 12, Paul says, okay, about those questions you asked me about spiritual gifts. Everything Paul says from chapter 12 through chapter 13 and chapter 14 is in response to particular questions they asked Paul about spiritual gifts. So most people, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, you you don't think that this this passage has a particular context that has to do with spiritual gifts. Because, you know, usually we hear that at weddings and whatnot. Okay, 12.1. What I'm going to try and do, with the help of many commentaries and books that I've read, is to unpack the questions that these Corinthians were asking about the spiritual gifts, because that's going to make the answer make more sense to us. You on this journey with me? Are we ready to go? Okay. So what we glean from Paul's response is, A, that the the Corinthian church is very gifted. In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, you lack no gift. I mean, every gift that the Spirit of God offers is, is active in the church of Corinth. This is a very gifted church. So not only have people received the gifts, but they are using them. So that's one thing we know. We know that people are using the gifts in self-centered ways. And many of the people using these gifts are spiritually immature. And they're using the gifts or seeking the gifts for self-exaltation. And using the gifts from the Spirit to bring discord and fragmentation. So what... That's interesting. There's some things to be gleaned from that. The first is this, that just because someone is is really gifted, that doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. And and it doesn't mean that they're fully walking in tune with the Spirit of God. And that's really important because, you know, some people have the gift of teaching. And so they illuminate our minds to to the, the message of Scripture. And sometimes we can elevate them like, oh, they must be so close to God, so faithful to God. Not necessarily. Just because someone is gifted and using their gift doesn't mean that they are spiritually mature, that they are embodying the the Spirit of Christ in ways that they should. The other side of that is also true. If you notice someone, you're like, well, they've got sin in their lives, or whatever you notice about this person, that doesn't mean you can't be blessed by their gifts, by them using their gifts. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't use them through their gifts. Because sometimes we do that too, right? 
Well, that person obviously is, is whatever, whatever you, and so, oh, and now they're going to lead me in worship, or now they're going to do this? I don't think so, right? <laughs> yeah. Be careful, be cautious. God uses us all in spite of ourselves, not because of who we are. Okay, so, so in the church of Corinth, there's, people are using their gifts, they're an incredibly gifted church, it's a, it's a wild church, and one of the other things that we glean from, from spending time in this, pa- in this passage, 12 to 14, is that they are seeking the spectacular gifts, like the demonstrably supernatural gifts, like healing and signs and wonders, and especially the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is like the, the, the cream, the, the top gift at the church of Corinth. Everybody wants it. And, and when you get it, it's, it's like a status symbol in the church of Corinth. Okay, the speculation on what their questions were about. Um, specifically about the gift of tongues. If you read through 12 to 14, you will see that the gift of tongues is, is mentioned far more than any other gift. I'm not talking a little bit more. I'm talking way more. By the time Paul gets to chapter 14, that's all he's talking about. Almost the entire chapter is just about the gift of tongues. Now, the passage we just read this morning, Paul said it's the least of the gifts. It's the lowest as far as the value to the community. It's lowest in as far as how helpful it is to the body of Christ. Why is Paul talking about it the most? We, we can discern that their question was probably ab- about the gift of tongues. And as we take little pieces of the puzzle and little clues in, in Paul's response, what, what probably happened, this is speculative, what probably happened was all these people are seeking this gift of tongues. Some people are are pretending. Some people are speaking in tongues when they don't actually have the gift because it's a status, right? They want to be, hey, I'm one of the cool kids. I speak in tongues. And what has happened is some of the leaders there have discerned that, you know, okay, things are getting pretty chaotic because that's something that Paul addresses in the end of chapter 14. Like things are just out of control at this Corinthian church. Everyone is just, there's lots of noise, right? And, and, and they're like, something doesn't feel quite right about how the gift of tongues is manifesting in our worship. And there's this other clue that it seems that some people are practicing speaking in tongues and something has happened where it feels to some of the leaders that some of these utterances are dishonoring to Christ. And the leaders don't know what to do with that. So they're writing Paul, they're like, should we, should we stop speaking in tongues because something feels off to us? And, and Paul, Paul responds, and it's a lengthy response, three chapters, but we get these little hints because Paul's like, you know, speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift. He says, I wish you all could receive this gift. He says he speaks in tongues more than anyone, which is an interesting statement. How does he know that? He also says, don't forbid anyone to, to speak in tongues. So that's, we can assume that some of the leaders are like, should we just shut this down because it's getting weird? And he's like, no, don't forbid anyone to speak in tongues. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate gift. He also says, you know, make sure you don't say, have some people saying, hey, we don't need your gift. No, everybody's gift is important. And if someone's gift is the gift of tongues, don't forbid them. But let's go back to the beginning to, to, to see an, a, an interesting aspect of Paul's response to, to the struggle of the Corinthian church with this issue. So we go to verse 1. Regarding the questions you've asked me about spiritual gifts, then what is the next verse? It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. He says, remember when you were pagans, worshiping mute 
idols that couldn't talk, and you were carried away, swept away. That's it. Okay. That's interesting, right? Why is... They're asking questions about the spiritual gifts, and especially the gift of tongues. What is Paul communicating here? One of the things that, when we we go back and look at the the cultural um, context of Paul's day, one of the, well, there are many, many religions. So the first thing we need to understand is, is these Corinthian Christians, you know, weren't agnostics before they became Christians. Like everyone in the ancient world worshiped at least one God. And they would go to different temples and they would, they would do their sacrifices or they'd do whatever they do to the, to the, in the temples. And one of the, the primary religious cults, I guess we would call it today, in Corinth was the, the religion that worshipped the god Apollo. Now there was a huge temple there, but it was probably in ruins by the time that Paul's writing this. But the, the worship practices were still in effect. And one of the the primary worship practices was prostitution. So there was hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of temple prostitutes at the time. So there, and, and this was a major, major city. Corinth was a huge city and a very wealthy city. Some commentators have compared it to, you know, mix Las Vegas and New York City and you've got Corinth, right? And, and it was a, a port city. So you had a lot of sailors coming in and they were happy to convert to the religion of Apollo. So, um, <laughs> One of the things that, that happened in worshiping the god Apollo, this is recorded by Virgil in, um, shortly before the time of Christ. One of, the, one of the highlights of worship of the god Apollo was the priestess, would, her spirit would unite with the god Apollo and she would speak in tongues. She would speak in a foreign, uh, heavenly, unintelligible, strange language. So, in fact, speaking in tongues is very common in the ancient world, in most religious practices. Plato talks about it, many talk about it. So these Corinthians are familiar with the practice of speaking in a, in a strange language. And some of them probably used to worship, in fact, if you read Corinthians, you know that, that he's saying, hey, when you used to worship at temples and, and work, sacrifice food to idols and all that kind of stuff... These people were, were practicing in their pagan religions, what we call pagan religions today. So he's saying, remember, remember when you were worshiping those... Now, why does he say mute? When you were worshiping those idols that couldn't talk, why would he highlight that? Because I, This is speculative, but I think reasonable. He's saying they were mute, but yet the priestess or... Some of yourselves were getting carried away, swept away, and you were speaking in tongues. What was carrying you away? What was sweeping you away into this ecstatic experience? And if you know anything about the ancient pagan worship practices, many of them were about getting swept up into ecstatic states. So what's sweeping them into these ecstatic states where some of them would utter uh, what would be comparable to speaking in tongues? Well, if we look back in chapter 10... Paul is is saying, when you're offering food to idols, you're offering food to demons, unclean spirits. So Paul's saying, remember when you were in your pagan days and, and worshiping whatever speechless idols, and then all of a sudden 
someone started talking on behalf of that idol. It wasn't the idol speaking. It was a dark spirit. There are spirits. What is Paul getting at here by telling them to remember their pagan days? He's saying just because something supernatural is happening doesn't mean it's from God. And what Paul's implying here is just because something supernatural is happening in the church doesn't mean it's from God. Paul's saying you have to test the spirits. That's why, what does he say next? He says, no one who is in the spirit can say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord unless that person is in the spirit. Classic example. Let's take that verse, cut and paste. Take it out of its context. That verse is meaningless. Is that true? Out of that context? No one can say Jesus is Lord unless they're in the Spirit. Lots of people say Jesus is Lord. They're not in the Spirit. I mean, the whole, Jesus and Paul talk about hypocrisy all the time. The basis of hypocrisy is to profess something with your lips, yet it's not a reality of your internal being. Of course we can say with our lips, Jesus is Lord, and, and we're not in the Spirit. Jesus himself says, many who call me Lord, <laughs> what, what does he say? I don't know them. I don't know them. You can say all sorts of things, and you're not in the Spirit. It's a classic example of we have to understand context for, for, for Bible passages to make sense. In this context, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, specifically speaking gifts that, that come from this, this ecstatic state that comes from being filled with the Spirit of God. And he's saying when someone is in an ecstatic state and they're, they're either speaking a prophecy or revelation or speaking in tongues, if anything that they say dishonors Christ, it's not the Spirit of God. And when they are in those states, if they exalt Christ, then it has to be the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Yep. This is interesting on so many levels to me because... First of all, we're not just talking about dark spirits. We're talking about all spirits. We need to test the spirits. Now, what are some spirits? Well, the spirit of fear, spirit of discouragement, critical spirit, judgmental spirit. Right? The Bible tells us you have not been given a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear. There are many spirits that, that aren't demons or unclean spirits. I feel it. I feel the, you know, the spirit of discouragement. I feel myself becoming discouraged. And what I need to do is I need to test that spirit. And here's the test. Okay, is this spirit exalting Christ in my life and in my mind and in my heart? No? Well, then I have a decision to make. <laughs> Align myself with that spirit of discouragement or spirit of fear or spirit of, of judgment or spirit of anger or do I tuning myself to the spirit Christ. Now that's both individually and as a community. Can we as a church start to let certain spirits, I'm not talking about you know, demonic spirits, I'm just talking about spirits, certain energy, creep into our collective ethos? Because that's what these spirits do. They try, the spirit of discouragement creeps into my life and it's trying to dominate my consciousness. It's trying to control my being. So this is, this is the test that, that all of us need to be... Ex this is what John says in, 
in 1 John 4, 21, I think it is, test the spirits. Does the spirit lift up and confess Jesus, who is the Son of God, come in human flesh? If so, that's the spirit of God. If not, it's not the spirit of God. Now, another interesting thing, testing the spirits, it's not about the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Paul is is not enshrining that language. Paul was constantly trying to find new language to communicate ancient, timeless, life-changing truths. And what, what I notice is some people become attached to language, including the name of Jesus. This is going to make some people uncomfortable, but stay with me. First of all, his name wasn't Jesus. It was Yeshua or Yehoshua. I tried saying that for a while. It just came across as way too pretentious. <laughs> you follow Jesus? I follow Yeshua. What's this guy talking about? The, 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 the phonetic sound, Jesus, actually, it, it's a pointer to a much greater presence, much greater reality. To become attached to the pointer is, is a form of idolatry. And frankly, some of us become so consumed with the name Jesus that, that that's our relationship is with the name. Remember what Jesus says to these people who he says he doesn't know. I'm sorry, I don't know you. And they're like, Jesus, we call you Lord. We love your name. In fact, we love your name so much that we've cast out demons in your name, the name of Jesus. We've done miracles in your name. They're all about the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't know me, I don't know you. Now you have a great relationship with my name, have fun with that. Right? So there's something much, Jesus has many names. Emmanuel, wonderful, counselor, prince of peace. Logos is one of my favorites. The Logos, the divine Logos, the, the, the creative, generative, organizing principle of the universe. Now that's a name. And, and what, what happens is the, the, the organizing principle and creative energy of the universe makes an appearance in a human being. And from that moment, that event in history now has a personal presence. And it's that personal presence that is important, not a name. Have you encountered the personal presence of the Logos? That's what matters. And if someone uses a different name for the one who cannot be limited to a name, relax. (laughs) Because frankly, some people hear the name Jesus, especially when pronounced Jesus. And it does anything but point them to the great Logos. It points them to a bunch of memories that are so painful and hurtful and humiliating and shameful that it does any... it's, It's actually embodies the spirit of Antichrist to them. That's, that's what John talks about, the spirit of Antichrist that was already present in the world then. We're like waiting for the Antichrist to come. It was already there back then. Okay, I'm getting really animated right now. I don't know what that means. Test the spirit. Am I with you? But the same goes for those who, who now react to the name Jesus. We want to provide grace for those people. Let's take it easy with the name Jesus if, because it's, it's just a phonetic sound. But let's take it easy for those, on those people who the name Jesus takes them immediately into the personal presence of the cosmic Christ. Some people, the, the, just the sound of Jesus takes them immediately into the, the warmth, into divine intimacy 
with the, with the, the, the grand logos. We need to be gracious with one another. It's amazing how many things can separate and divide us, and that's what the Corinthian church was struggling with. It's mind-blowing the things that can separate us. Let's test those spirits. As soon as you start feeling like, well, I don't know if I can be in fellowship, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> something's, something's tingling, man. i got to test this spirit if you can't fellowship with someone because they drink coffee the wrong way, you know? I mean, that sounds silly, but that's how silly most of this stuff is. Church divisions. Some follow Apollos. Some follow Paul. Some follow Peter. Some follow Christ. I've never understood that. What are you talking about, Paul? Aren't we all supposed to follow Christ? All right, I've thrown a lot at you. We'll continue this next Sunday. For some reason, we're going to have two minutes of silence. Enjoy that. (laughs) Spirit of the living Christ, you are with us. We invite you into our silence.